around the world. The Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Hello, friends. Pastor David Langford here today. We'd like to welcome each of you to this edition of The Voice of Evangelism International Ministries. Today is Monday, March the 8th, 2020. We'd like to welcome each of you today. And before I forget or it slips my mind again, let me say thank you for the many of you who sent a birthday card, uh, you sent a text, you sent an email. Um, some of you, I think, responded on Facebook. Uh, my daughter takes care of all of that if I understand uh, some of the things she does for us. But I do want to say thank you, uh, and I appreciate so immensely those of you that are that considerate, that loving, that affectionate toward the voice of evangelism. So thank you so very much uh, for the cards and the letters. And uh, Brother Brian Pierce, God bless your heart. Uh, you've given me a gift every every birthday since you've been listening to the voice of evangelism. And I'm always humbled and blessed by your exceeding generosity. So thank you, Brian, so deeply from my heart for your generous love gifts to me personally and to the Voice of Evangelism International Ministries. You know, it's great to be a Christian. It is great to be a child of God. It is great to embrace the Master and rejoice in His power and in his presence. Nothing can substitute the presence of God. If you don't understand that by now, you need a fresh, a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit of God. There's nothing more edifying, nothing more refreshing, nothing more energizing than to be in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I got a, an email uh, just the other day from a young man by the name of Samuel. And he's been listening, I think he said, since 2014. And uh, he brought up a scripture verse that I share many times because I've embraced that scripture in my personal life, and that is Psalms 119, verse 133. Order my steps in thy word, and do not allow, suffer, or tolerate any iniquity to have dominion over me. And that word dominion in the Hebrew means lordship or authority. And this young man was a drug addict. And he said that verse, that one scripture verse, literally set him free. Order my steps in thy word. Suffer, allow not any iniquity to have dominion over me. Remember the iniquity part or the word iniquity always speaks to the actual act, the actual act of doing it. In other words, the act of getting drunk, literally physically drinking and getting your body inebriated. So David says, order my steps in thy word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. So don't allow, tolerate, Lord, iniquity. 
the works, the acts of sin to have lordship authority over my life. And he said that one scripture verse transformed his life because he realized God didn't save him. He wasn't born to be an addict. He wasn't born to be an addict. He was born to be a servant of the Most High God. So thank you for that testimony, Samuel, and I pray God will forever order your steps. And all of you listening today, that God will order your steps in his word that no iniquity could ever have dominion over you. I've prayed that verse from the first time I read that, and it jumped out at me. I committed it to memory, and I quote it to this day, time after time after time. God's word is timeless. It is infinite because it is the word of our Lord. Before we get into the message today, I want to play a song entitled After the Storm by the Irwins. We're going to enter into a storm, but I want to assure you the storm will not last. And after the storm, you will be standing because you are a servant, a child of the Most High God. Listen to the Irwins as they sing After the Storm. Pray that you'll be standing after the storm. 
Jesus is still the master of the sea. Praise God. We want to go back teaching today, and I do want to read the scripture again from John chapter 12. This scripture has just really been permeating personally my heart and my soul since I began to teach this. And that's John chapter 12, beginning at verse 35. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. While ye have the light, believe in the light. And that is so imperative in this hour. I want to pick back up from Psalms chapter 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When my little youngest son, he's not little anymore, but my youngest son, when he was little, probably six or seven years old, and from the house to the mailbox was about 500 feet. And he was telling me how brave he was. He was not afraid of the dark. And I said to him, Linton, I forgot to get the newspaper out of the mailbox today. Would you please walk out to the road and get it for me? It's probably 9 o'clock at night. But he's bragging how he's not afraid of the darkness. And I said, would you go get it for me? He said, no, nah, Dad. I, I, I just don't want to walk that far and go out there and get the newspaper. I'll get it in the morning, <laughs> which told me he was afraid of the dark, to be that far away from the house and out there in the country, just pure pitch darkness. But I love the psalmist here and his attitude, his disposition, and the inspiration that the psalmist says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Now, remember the word salvation in the Hebrew means my deliverance. Because the Lord is my light, because he is my deliverance, whom shall I fear? You see, fear is from the enemy. Fear does not come from God. As a matter of fact, God has deposited with every in each of every one of us. Each and every one of us have received a measure of faith. You say, I don't have faith. Yes, you do. Romans 12 and 3, God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. I don't know what the measure is. If it's a cup, a bucket, a bushel basket, I don't know what that it might be. But whatever it is, God has given to each of us a measure of faith. And you have to increase that faith. See, if you had all the faith you needed, God would never admonish you to increase your faith. So we all have this measure of faith. And we work that faith, we exercise that faith by trusting in the Lord. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
That is someone that is certitude in their walk with God. The light here typifies Jehovah as the author of both our joy and our strength. The Lord is your joy, and the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord. It is the joy of the Lord. It is his joy. He imparts that unto you. He gives you that joy. Peter said it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. God is the one who gives you the joy and the strength to run the race and finish the course. He is all-encompassing strength. Strength for our physical body, strength for our spiritual guidance and protection. Thus, whom shall we be afraid of? People are so fearful of so many things today. And the Bible says that's a sign of the last days. Men's hearts failing them for fear. Luke 21, 25. He's he's describing a time of great turmoil. Uh, Luke 21, 25. There shall be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea, the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and looking after those things which are coming upon the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. He said that men's hearts would fail them for fear. Yet the psalmist says, whom shall I be afraid of? Whom shall I fear? Romans eight thirty one. if God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who? No one. Doesn't matter who it is. Because whoever or whatever it might be, it cannot overcome the power of God. Psalm 16, verse 8, David said, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. If you keep God before you, that means the devil's got to get through God to get to you. Now, God may suffer a trial or persecution or adversity to come into your life to grow you, to mature you, but he will not allow it to move you. There's a vast difference. There's a vast difference. God will not suffer you to be moved. He won't allow it. He won't tolerate it. Doesn't mean he will say you're never going to have a trial. You're never going to have persecution. You're never going to have tribulation. Acts 14, 22, that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. We're told in the Bible we're going to suffer much. Mega. I think the Greek word is megas, M-E-G-A-S. Mega tribulation. That would be deemed great tribulation that we enter into the kingdom of God. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, let your conversation be without covetousness. Let your lifestyle be without covetousness. Again, I tell you many times, the word conversation is not talking about your vocabulary. It's talking about your lifestyle, how you live your life. Let your lifestyle be without covetousness. Now, that makes a whole lot more sense, doesn't it? 
Let your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Men are going to seek to harm and injure the church, the body of Christ here in the time of the end. It's already happening. You're being ostracized. You're being alienated. You're being cut off. You're being persecuted all because you're white. Some of you are black Christians, but the white people are being beat up right now over all this silly stuff. I, I, I can't help I'm white. I just happen to be born like that. You know, people are born with different attributes and faculties and, and, and looks and all of those things. Regrettably, some are predisposed to coronary disease or diabetes or, or whatever the case might be. This, this thing is out of control, this council culture trying to destroy anyone or anything. That's the devil. Remember, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You know, take your pigs and wrap them up and fry them up like bacon, I believe was the, the mantra. Police officers. There's always bad police officers, just like there's bad ministers. I, I, hate, I hate that because I'm a minister. But you got rotten plumbers, you got dishonest electricians, you got sorry carpenters, and then you have great carpenters and great electricians and great plumbers and great preachers. But in every facet and aspect of life, you've got criminal-minded, corrupt people. They're in everything. So we, we shouldn't have all this bias. But there are those through extortion, extrapolate money from people watching them on television to the degree of excess. That's why Jesus rebuked them in Matthew 23, 25, the scribes, the chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what edifies the body and glorifies the name of the Lord. So we will not fear what man shall do unto us. Remember, Jesus warned us, don't fear him that's able to destroy the body only. Fear him that's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. He who has that kind of power is the one Jesus said you shall fear or you should fear anyway. Micah. Very short prophetic book, Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I'm telling you, darkness is coming. Micah declared, darkness is coming. You say, I don't like that. That's disparaging. That is discouraging. Just like Micah, I'm trying to be honest and truthful. I'm not, I'm not trying to skew this, you know, pamper you, patty cake, protect you from the truth. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. It is the enemy that brings the darkness. Notice what he said. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall. You mean the Christian falls sometimes? Yes, he does. Psalms 37, 25, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly, totally, completely cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Begging bread. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly, totally ruined and destroyed. Jesus Christ comes along and picks up every blood-bought, born-again child of God that has ever stumbled or fallen if they want to be picked up. I remind the Lord, I'm like the Apostle Peter. You know, when Peter was walking on the water, he didn't fall and sink like a concrete block had a hold of him. It says he began to sink. In other words, he just slowly began to go down because he got his eyes off of Jesus and he got his eyes on the tempest. He got his eyes on the storm. He got his eyes on what Satan wanted his eyes on and that distracted him from the presence of God. As long as he was focused on Jesus, he was walking on the water, walking it. Then he began to look. See, that's the devil. He wants to distract every one of us, distract us from God, come between our view, between ourselves and God, bring something in front of us to distract us from the holiness of God. See, that's, that, that, that's the devil. That's what he tries to do. He's a master at it. He began to sink. Peter began to slowly, gradually sink, not like a sinker, not like a weight, not like a cinder block, but as he began to go down, and probably about the time he got a little bit over his ankles and close to his knees, he said, Lord, save me, save me. Jesus grabbed him by the hand, pulled him back up and put him into the ship. He said, why did you doubt? Because he got his eyes off of Christ, and he got his eyes on the storm, and he began to doubt. Some of you watching or listening today, you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus. You've got your eyes on the storm. You've got your eyes on the tempest. You've got your eyes upon all the things that are swirling around you. These are what I call distractions. 25 Years or so ago, I wrote a newsletter. Life's problems are nothing but spiritual distractions. Life's problems are nothing but spiritual distractions. That same week, I got David Wilkerson's newsletter. His was entitled, Distractions in the Holy Place. Now, we both heard the same thing from God. But because of his vocabulary, his personality, he said it this way. And because of who I am, I said it another way. But we both said the same thing. We're talking about spiritual distractions from a holy God. That's the uniqueness. That's the tenacity 
that the Holy Spirit of God brings into the unity of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Micah, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall. What the prophet Micah is declaring here is this. When addressing the act of falling, he is speaking when believers fall into a fiery trial or we fall into a temptation or to a calamitous event. Or regrettably, if we succumb to a sin. And that's why I pray Psalms 119, verse 133, order my steps in thy word. Let no iniquity have dominion over me. Lord, if I sin, whatever the sin I've committed, don't allow it to have lordship over my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. This is what Micah is declaring here. And he, he recognizes where and what causes the failure, the fall. He says, mine enemy, mine enemy, you have an enemy. Remember the words of Jesus to the apostle Peter in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. He said, Simon Peter, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not when thou art converted. Strengthen the brethren. I want to emphasize, Peter, Satan hath desired to have you. You see, Satan desires to have all of us. Micah understood that, oh, mine enemy. What's the devil trying to do all the time to us? Sift us as wheat. I said, sift us as wheat. There's a process in the, the old days called winnowing. W-I-N-N-O-W-I-N-G, winnowing. You take the chaff and the grain, you throw it up in the air, and the wind drives or blows away the chaff. And what comes back down and remains is the, is the barley, the wheat, the good, the good seed that makes the good bread. But the chaff, that's Psalms 1, the ungodly are not so, but they're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. See, the wind drives the chaff away. Some of you listening to me right now, I feel this in my heart and my spirit. God's getting ready to separate you from some of your purported friends. He's getting ready to take some people out of your life. They're no good for you. They're, 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 they're no good for you. They are tainted. They are sullied. They are soiled with sin, and God is going to take them out of your life, and you're going to, you're going to be upset about it. You're, you're going to be upset about who God is getting ready to take out of your life because you are attached to the carnal aspect of that person. That person is not spiritual. They say they are. They honor God with their mouth and with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. You're, you're, you're going to be, they're going to be removed. They're going to be taken out of your life, and it's going to hurt you. What you don't realize now, it is like a thorn. It's hurting you now spiritually, but you can't see that. And God is going to remove that person out of your life or several people out of your life. 
Now, then after that happens, you're going to feel lonely and ostracized and alienated. But God said, I'm not going to leave you. You see, God knows the intent of these people's hearts. Jesus knew in the beginning, all men. He knew Judas would betray him. But he did not let that deter him. Neither did he make that a focal point. He, he ministered. He didn't live a life for three and one half years declaring, I've got the son of perdition in my camp. Now, he wasn't the son of perdition in the beginning, but he became the son of perdition. You can't be a child of the devil, a son of perdition, and do signs and wonders and miracles. And, and Judas Iscariot did those things up to a point. Again, you got 11 great apostles, and the 12th one was full of sin. He was an apostle. You know, I have people argue me, say, well, uh, Judas Iscariot, he, he was never saved. Where'd you get that at? You want to give me Bible for that? I said, you want to give me Bible that says Judas Iscariot was never saved? How then could he fulfill Acts 1 and 25, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place? Judas had part in Christ's ministry and apostleship. God never ordains apostles. Jesus was God. He never ordains devils. But sadly, Judas Iscariot backslid. See, he failed, just like Satan desired. How, how, how can I declare that? How, how can I say that Peter excuse me, Judas Iscariot. How can I say that Judas Iscariot was an apostle? Thank you for asking that question. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican or tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot. Those are the names of the 12 apostles. So when you have those out there who are adamant and telling you Judas Iscariot was never saved, how do you reconcile that passage? I'm all about reconciling the verses, folks. That's what makes Bible accurate. That's what we need in this world today is accuracy concerning the Word of God. I read an article just the other day. Uh, some big mega church, I believe it was in Nashville. You, those of you in the area will know who it is. The pastor says the word of God is not inerrant. The word of God is fallible. The word of God is not 
current. The word of God does not speak to this generation. It's got to be changed. What an idiot for a pastor, and yet people will go there and give their money to that buffoon. Malachi 3, 6, I'm the Lord, I change not. Well, that's Old Testament. Okay, Hebrews 13, uh, 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. It's the doctrine of immutability, immutable. God cannot change. That's a blessing to us. God can't change. I am that I am. Moses said, who am I going to tell them sent me? He said, you tell them that I am, that I am has sent you. I'm immutable. I don't change. Again, the only thing that changed between the Old and New Testaments was a new covenant, a new way to be born again. Micah, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. I'm, I'm going to overcome this, Satan. Don't, don't stand there and rejoice. Don't you think Satan rejoiced when Peter's cursing and swearing that he doesn't know Christ. Don't you know the devil was rejoicing when Peter was cursing and swearing he doesn't know Jesus? But don't you know Satan was cursing and swearing when Peter, the apostle, was preaching the Pentecostal message on Pentecostal Day in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 souls were saved. So the cursing aspect changed. Peter wasn't cursing. Now the devil's cursing. Why? Because Peter has done what Jesus said would happen. When thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Isn't God gracious? I said, is not Jesus Christ gracious? From the time that Peter is cursing and swearing, he doesn't know Jesus. Jesus forgives him, puts it in the past, baptizes him in the Holy Ghost, and allows him to preach the first Pentecostal message in Acts chapter 2. Jesus did that for the apostle Peter. What vast, great, magnanimous forgiveness there is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Micah is declaring in this passage when he's talking about falling, when I fall. Again, he's speaking about entering into a time of trial, a time of temptation, a calamitous event like many in Texas several weeks ago. Here's the great thing about Micah. He's confident the Lord will cause him to arise triumphantly, though the devil would seek to destroy him and encompass him with complete and utter darkness. Remember, God is light. Believe in the light while it is with you. That, that's why I love this John uh, 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 chapter 12 here, these, these two verses, verses 35 and 36. It's, it's just it's powerful. Yet a little while is the light with you. Now he's talking about his personage being with the disciples and literally physically walking in the earth with them. Walk. While you have the light, lest 
darkness come upon you. Now let's look at John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. When you walk with Jesus, you're not in darkness. When you're not with Christ, you are in darkness. I lived a life of darkness. I lived in the darkness. You know, I, I worked in nightclubs. That's why they're called nightclubs. People are clubbing in the night. Darkness, darkness, heinous darkness. But when Jesus came into my life, I no longer lived and walked in darkness. He said, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. If you're following God, you cannot be in darkness. Now, when you quit following God, it won't be long till darkness will come in. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and we know that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. There against another one of your ifs. If ye walk in the light as he is in the light. You have to walk in the light, he says, to have fellowship with me. Micah is determined to walk in the light. But the devil tries to bring the darkness. And sometimes like Micah, he said, when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. So the darkness is truly temporary. Whether it's by trial, by tribulation, because in Acts 2 and Matthew 24 and Revelation 6, the sun is going to become dark like sackcloth of ashes and of hair, jet black hair. That's coming. That's coming. We're in the throes of darkness right now. Are we really? Yes, we are. I'm telling you, the Lord impressed in my heart the other day. There's a, there's a great darkness coming over the Capitol and the White House. Do you hear me? It's, it's there. If I could say this, and this is correct, it's emanating. It's dark terribly dark. This, this administration will be far more covert than Obama ever thought about. You won't know nothing. You won't hear anything, but they're, they're going to be digging deep and they're going to be burying and they're going to be doing things that you're not going to imagine. This is what men do when they live in darkness. This is why Ezekiel was told, dig a little deeper. Dig a little deeper in the wall and look at the filth. Look at the carnality. You're going to see things, Ezekiel, that you would not ever have imagined. Why? These people are evil. Thus he's admonishing him, dig a little deeper. Dig a little deeper. Keep on digging. I was going to put a message one time together, digging deeper. You, when God told him to dig deeper, he was going to show him just how bad it was in the darkness. I know people don't believe that. But you, this is going to be, this administration will be far more 
quieter, far more reclusive, far more silent. They're only going to tell you the things they want you to know for the sake of deceiving you. I said all along, I believe Donald Trump was nothing more than a reprieve. Never underestimate Satan. He will try to bring evil and the darkness of evil upon your particular trial, your circumstance, or your situation. He will try to make it so dark that you cannot see where you're going. That's why you must attach yourself to the light, which is Jesus Christ. While you have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. He that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. This is why these people are so uh, sinful and, and raunchy and iniquitous. They live totally in darkness, mold, mildew, rot, stink, putrid mess. Man, sunshine is truly a disinfectant. So is the light of God's Word. So is the light of the Word of God. And Satan will seek to bring evil. Darkness is an evil. And he'll try to bring it in and upon your life and darken your way that you cannot see, darken your way that you cannot understand, darken your way that you feel like you're oppressed and depressed. That's Satan. Satan is the personification of negativity. Negative, 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 negative. <laughs> Sounds like some of the websites I've read and seen in time past. Just all negative, nothing good, nothing edifying, nothing strengthening, nothing that will empower, nothing that will make one better, but just negative. And half the stuff is not even true. I mean, if you've not learned anything from this past election, you need to know one thing. A lot of the stuff we read, a lot of the stuff we heard, a lot of this stuff was just flat-out lies. It was never true in the beginning. Just never was. See, that, that, that awakened me to the power of deception and deceit. That awakened me to the power of deception and deceit. Every believer has dark times in their lives. Let me say that again. Every one of us have parenthetical times of darkness in our lives. I remember in 95 and 96, 1995, 1996, when the Church of God was trying to beat my brains out and take my license over preaching, again, a post-trib rapture versus a pre-trib rapture. That was one of the darkest times in my life, but it's one of the greatest times in my life concerning the light of Christ. Every day was illumination, a revelation, an understanding of deeper things in the Scriptures. Every day. For two years, I walked under an anointing. It was absolutely unbelieving, unbelievable. You say, how did, how, why was it two years? I don't know. 
But after that 40-day fast, everything I read, everything I heard, it was just a revelation. It was an opening of knowledge, an understanding of the deeper things of God. He was opening my understanding, Luke 24, 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. I had a vast knowledge of the Scriptures. But he illuminated my mind to have a greater, larger understanding. And I pray that all the time. Open my understanding, Lord. Uh, Psalms 119, verse 130. The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. In all your wisdom, get understanding, Solomon said. See, understanding something it's like a getting loose from shackles and chains. When you're, when you're, when you, if you're sitting in school and the teacher is teaching something, an equation, a mathematical algorithm, or diagramming a sentence, or whatever it might be, and you're sitting there and you're grappling, you're grappling, you're grappling, and sudden, suddenly the light goes off and you say, Oh, I understand. I got it now. You understand it. How can you understand the Scriptures? When the Holy Spirit of God opens up your mind. When the Spirit of God opens your mind. And every one of you have experienced that at one time or another when you've been reading the Bible. He's illuminated your mind, and you now you see it. And you see it in a way that you've never seen it before. And you're like, man, this is a golden nugget. This is powerful. This is, this is a great, great, great blessing in my life. Why? Because of the revelation. It mostly comes when the devil's trying to darken your path. Adversity, persecution, pain, sorrow, suffering. Psalms 23, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We talk about that. It's read just about at every funeral. Somebody, if it's several ministers conducting a funeral of a decedent, uh, somebody's going to read that psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. This is David as a shepherd He's writing inspired by the Holy Ghost. He's a shepherd. He knows how to tend to sheep. He knows how to put salve on them. He knows how to get them out of the ditch. He knows how to take the cane and the hook on it and, and uh, the staff and, and pull the, the lamb out of the trouble. He's there to defend the herd and the little ones from the wolf, the foxes, coyotes. He said, he leadeth me into green pastures. He leadeth me by still waters. Sheep will not drink from troubling, babbling water. They won't do it. You gotta, sometimes the, the shepherd would, would create a small little dam to create a little pond so the waters would be still. Because the babbling brook and the, the rumbling water, the, the sheep, they, they don't like that. They, they want it to be peaceful. They want it to be uh calm, placid, that's what they want. So he leadeth me beside 
the still waters. And the Hebrew says, waters of quietness, quiet water. I love to hear water running over rocks, waterfalls. You, 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 you just can't make up that sound. Well, they try to, but it's just a, it's something about that. But David here is talking about quiet, still waters. He restoreth my soul. Sometimes, as Micah describes here, we, we fall or we are made to sit in darkness and, and my enemies trying to rejoice over me. He says, he restoreth my soul. You failed God. You missed God. You, came, you gave over to the temptation. You just, you knew you shouldn't be there. You knew you shouldn't do that, but you did. And you fell into temptation. And the temptation overtook you. And you sinned. And for that, you're sorry. And there is a, a, a grief in your spirit. You have grieved not only your spirit, but you have grieved his spirit because you have sinned. You have sinned. David said, he restoreth my soul. And then after the restoration, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, God always leads the believer in a path of not only being the right path, but a path of right doing. You're going to seek to do that which is right. I said you're going to seek to do that which is absolutely right. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Who's it for? For his name's sake. If you live right, you walk right, you talk right, you're bringing glory to God. I said you're bringing glory to God when people see you. They witness your lifestyle. They witness your convictions. They witness your diligence. They witness your faithfulness. That's because you're being led in paths of righteousness, and because of his name's sake, he gets the glory, the honor, and the praise. Paths of righteousness. Now David turns quickly. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I will not fear evil, David said. Why? God is with me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy rod and thy staff. See, rod is for correction. Staff can be for the bread of life or a staff to pull you out of the ditch, the gutter, the miry clay, the horrible pit. Whatever you have fallen into, his staff will comfort you. Somebody reaches out and gives you a hand of help. Does that not comfort you? Does that not help you? Does that not strengthen you? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." 
two things should follow you daily, goodness, mercy. The goodness of God, the goodness, the favor, the grace of God in your life, coupled with mercy. You know, the devil sees all of us and he can see that blood-bought, born-again child of God who's walking the walk and talking the talk. But Satan not only sees the spiritual perspective of that child of God, that believer, he can see behind the believer goodness and mercies following you. Man, I've preached this for years. You got to sow good seed. Until you start sowing good seed, you cannot get a good harvest. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about sowing seeds of righteousness that you might inherit that great blessing because you've sown the right things. Goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life, not not just a a time of your life, a, 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 a particular posture in your life, a particular phase of your life. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Great God in heaven, that's good. That's good preaching, man. That'll make you want to stand up and shout and praise and glorify and magnify the Lord God of Abraham. Listen, we've all faced difficult times, hard times, severe times, times of grief and times of bereavement, times of sorrow and times of pain and, and times of suffering, times of calamity, times of adversity. But look behind me, Satan. What do you see? He sees goodness and he sees mercy. And David said, it shall follow me all the days of my life. And in the end, I will dwell in the house of God forever. But to get there, you must walk in paths of righteousness. And the paths of righteousness, they're never, never, never dark. The paths of righteousness are paths of just that, right, right doing. Psalms 25 verse 10 says, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. If you obey the Lord God of mercy, every path that you walk in Christ is is righteousness, right doings, And his paths are full of mercy, and his paths are full of truth. But you got to walk in that path. Some of you watching me, some of you listening to me, you know what a path is. My grandpa had a path from his outdoor spigot all the way down to the hog pen. And when I was little, I walked down there with him. And he walked down there to the hog pen with a five-gallon bucket of water in one hand and five-gallon of slop, and if it was not all slop, he filled it up with water. So he walked down that path with two five-gallon buckets in his hand. And he did that for another reason, to balance his walk. See, if you got five-gallon on one side, some of you guys out there that are carpenters and workers, you know what I'm talking about, so it balanced him. But I remember that path. He walked it every day, every day. 
taking those hogs, the table scraps from the table and whatever else. He, we raised corn when I was growing up with him and uh, put it in a corn bin. Then he would he'd take a, a, a corn cob and shell the corn off into the trough, uh, especially when you're getting ready to kill the hog. You want to lean it out, get some of the fat off of it, get it more meaty where it makes more bacon. Yeah, more bacon, more ham, more pork chops. But that path was was so unyielding. It, it, it was just indelible in every little, every little crook. And see, when you walk in path of righteousness, they're not, they're not that wide. You know, even cows, cows, as big as wide as they are, the path that they walk won't be much, it'll be less than two feet. Less than two feet wide, the path wherein a cow walks. Here's the thing about walking with God. It is straight. It is narrow. The path is not wide. See, the path is narrow. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Those paths are simply just not wide at all. Matthew 7, 13, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. When you're getting ready to put a, a, a cattle on a trailer, the cattle chute is less, around 30 inches wide is all. You're talking about a 2,000-pound steer, 2,000-pound bull, 2,000-pound heifer. But see, you know what that, that straightness does, that narrowness does? The cow cannot turn around in the chute and go out. They've only got one way to go, go forward. They cannot, then they may stop sometimes. They may try to back up sometimes, but they can't turn around because the way is too narrow. Get in the paths of the Lord. Walk therein, and God will preserve you, and God will keep you in that narrowness because it is the path of righteousness. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.